0: Hi, I'm Chinny I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonises history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent
1: hello hello how's it going
0: all good just um you know winter is coming as they say but we move regardless
1: i've never actually seen that you know i've
0: not seen all of it either i know some of the characters oh okay (laughs) just so i could laugh at the memes (laughs) that was the only reason
1: i watched it Fair enough. You do what you need to do in order to get into that pop culture vibes.
0: Look, if the pub quiz has a large sum of money available and the answer is, you know, Cersei, then you you need to know. You need to know these things. You probably don't know who Cersei is,
1: but nope. Did I sound convincing though? Did I sound like oh I knew? or did I oh maybe maybe not because you literally straight away were like oh you don't know.
0: (laughs) It's okay. It's alright.
1: I'll I'll accept that. Um, Yeah, we just wanted to go through into our kind of African Pride segment. So, yeah, I think this week is you, Julie. Yes,
0: and our African Pride segment is the End SARS campaign, which is um, a social movement which is currently taking place in Nigeria. The story has been developing. But um, at the time of recording this, we can't ignore the atrocities that have taken place recently. We're actually going to put a trigger warning as there's discussion of police brutality and extrajudicial killings. So if you're listening and you've been under a rock or you're wondering what on earth um, SARS stands for, um, it stands for the Special Anti-Robbery Squad and was a Nigerian police force unit created in 1992 to deal with crimes associated with robbery, motor vehicle theft, kidnapping, cattle rustling and firearms. However, this led to police brutality and abuse of power as young people in Nigeria have been targeted. As 419 fraudsters if they own items such as iphones or if they have a nice car and also there's a lot of profiling towards young people as well um, if they have locks tattoos or nice jewelry this brutality is not limited to but includes violent and unwarranted searches extortion and bribery sexual assault and violence Recently there's been a push as enough is enough and young people began peacefully protesting against SARS much to the embarrassment of Nigerian governors. Protests also took place outside the Nigerian embassy in London and also in other parts of England as well. As we know, there's a huge Nigerian presence in the United Kingdom. SARS was apparently disbanded but another institution called SWAT took its place. And obviously this is not enough and the movement continues to gather pace and awareness is being driven online.
1: The 20th of October 2020 is a date which we will remember. A peaceful protest at the Lekki toll gate in Lagos descended into extrajudicial killings. We're calling it what it is as the Nigerian government sent the army to attack unarmed peaceful protesters at a sit-in. A last minute curfew had been put into place in the area and the government removed CCTV cameras and switched off the lights prior to opening fire. As much as we highlight African countries on its continent, we don't shy away from calling out when a government is tyrannical and corrupt. As much as we want to portray the continent in a positive light, it's our duty to give our listeners the full picture. We don't romanticise the continent to appease the Western gaze. The purpose of our episodes is to understand the history behind each African nation and looking at how these subsequent colonial hangovers paint a picture as to why the continent is the way it is today. In our first episode, we covered the Nigerian Civil War, uh, which happened between 1967 and 1970. And this provides context to the situation Nigeria is in today.
0: We recommend you listen to Nigerian voices, not just those in the diaspora, but also those on the ground in Nigeria. Some accounts for you to follow on Twitter include FKA Badu, Britico Yemo and grassroots organisations such as Feminist Coalition, Feminist underscore Co. It's difficult to find groups to donate to as the government keeps shutting them down. But if you do know of any more, please let us know so we can highlight them. Um, Another quote we have from Chumamanda Ngozi Adichie, who wrote Half of Yellow Sun. We've put the article in the episode show notes. But a quote from the article that stands out to us is, A movement cannot spread so organically and widely across Nigeria if it does not legitimately reflect the grievances of ordinary people. So this story will probably develop further by the time this episode does come out, um, but we just wanted to highlight that its continent stands in solidarity to the end SARS campaign.
1: Definitely, definitely. No, it is really good to see. And also just, I just feel like this whole year with everything that's happened, yeah, it's just gotten to this kind of crescendo point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Where people are like, you know what, let me do, I need to do something about it. Because yeah, yeah. So as much as we say, Twenty twenty has honestly been one the longest year ever. <laughs> you're just waiting for it to be over. There's been moments like this yeah. where you're like, it makes me okay, yeah, yeah, it makes me
0: optimistic that there could be change. <laughs> you know, um, and despite just so much challenge from the the Nigerian government, where did you see that tweet about the Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey was threatened to be sued for supporting the protest of Nsars? Like, it's just like. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah,
1: I did see that. Imagine asking him for a billion pounds or whatever. Like, what even? Like,
0: like what? no. Like, the the young will not. We we will not stand up for this.
1: Where are we this week?
0: So this week we're actually going pre-colonial, uh, PC, if that's a thing. I'm making it a thing now. So
1: you're making it a thing. You you you've now reached it's like BC <laughs> <where> PC you... <laughs> PC. <laughs>
0: It's our new date variation here. Um, But yeah, we've we've listened to some of your feedback and best believe we also want to find stories that have shaped African nations uh, that has happened before European colonisation. So yeah, this week we're covering Queen Nzinga, one of the greatest female rulers of the continent. She was made famous by fighting against slave trade and European influence. By fighting off Portuguese invasions and slave raids for more than 30 years. We've done the best we can with limited sources here, so a lot of dates that you hear are kind of circa or they're conflicts from source to source. But this episode will give you an insight into Queen Nzinga, and you can have a look at some more resources if you do decide to Google and do a bit more research.
1: Queen Nzinga of the Ambundu kingdoms of Dongo and Matamba has been described as an astute diplomat and visionary military leader. She's basically an all-rounder. Nzinga resisted Portuguese invasion and trade for 30 years, fighting for freedom of her country until her death at the age of 82. The development of the slave trade along Africa's south coast changed the cultural, political and economic environment of the kingdom of Ndongo. It was against this backdrop that Nzinga made her mark as an outstanding example of female governance. Queen Nzinga was born around 1583, the daughter of King Ngola of Ndongo. Her brother, Mbandi Kiluanji, who took over the throne after the death of their father. Legend has it that Nzinga's mother went through a difficult birth process as the umbilical cord was wrapped around Nzinga's neck. Nzinga's father became king of Ndongo when she was 10 years of age. The Ndongo Kingdom was an early modern African state inhabited by umbundu speaking people in southwestern Africa, located around the area now known as Angola. Inzinga was seen as her father's favourite, as she wasn't an heir to the throne like her brothers, and she wasn't seen as direct competition, so she received a lot of attention from her father. She received military training and was trained as a warrior. She was also involved in official duties alongside her father, such as legal and war counsel. Nzinga had the advantage in the setting of being fluent in Portuguese.
0: L- look at the dad just taking time to train Nzinga, aside from just, yeah, yeah, you know just definitely. being told to sit pretty and be a princess. I mean, there wasn't Disney back then to compare <laughs> being a princess to, but yeah, he kind of defied that. Stereotype in a way because she's already been trained to do military training and carry out official duties. Yes, and
1: it's interesting to see that, like, she was fluent in Portuguese. Setting the political scene at this time, the kingdom of Ndongo was facing many crises. By this time, King Kiluanji had accepted limited slave trading with the Portuguese. However, the Portuguese continued to push further into the kingdom of Ndongo, breaking up existing boundaries. This led to Ndongo going to war against the Portuguese. The Portuguese first came to Ndongo in the late 15th century, focusing on port cities as part of the transatlantic slave trade, taking captives to new world colonies such as Brazil.
0: Look at Portugal just, you know, like, entering the coloniser... was <laughs> <What's> the coloniser <laughs> Battle. Early doors, Early 1500. coloniser pioneers at this point. Like, what was Britain doing? Where was you?
1: And also it's interesting that, like, the they were taken to places like Brazil. I would never thought maybe it's just um, as we're learning, yeah. but I didn't kind of see connections with other countries outside um, of Europe as well. It's pretty interesting. Mm. That might be one for us to note for another time, another, <laughs> an area for us to explore.
0: I guess it's more around the, the slaves being taken to Brazil, um, which, which is interesting. Um, yeah, definitely. In 1571 sebastian of portugal who was the king of portugal at the time ordered Fort ndongo to be under portuguese rule this situation worsened as the ibangala of the Kasanje kingdom a pre-colonial state in this area known as a modern day angola was already in conflict with ndongo so it's not really like a like-for-like country replacement it's just to emphasize around how angola as it exists today, is a mix of all these various kingdoms and territories, um, and then you just, you know, you get the colonizer bonfire where they just come and draw lines over the continent. So yeah, just kind of putting that in context for you.
1: Do you think, like, you know, when we said they came and like drew up, and they did kind of draw up all these like weird-looking lines <laughs> and different communities rushed off together? Do you think that was just a reflection of the sort of countries? They were from you know what i mean because just thinking about like um british history that we're taught mm. it's very much like this one whole entity yeah you had like you know scotland wales or whatever but it's very much one single plot of group of people whereas really when we go back to of African these African countries, they're much smaller communities. So I was just yeah. wondering whether it just made me think whether they're just trying to reflect.
0: Yeah, I think they what were what they
1: were experiencing.
0: I think it's in that, like you know, Western Europe at the time and and now, I guess, because the borders haven't changed significantly, really, have they? Um, I guess they yeah. were trying to mirror the fact that they thought that civilization was actually having these large countries, wasn't it? I guess, and yeah, trying to mirror that, yeah, which kind of results in internal conflicts because obviously you've pit people against each other people that don't really like they're not boys like so, <laughs> so yeah it's it's just one of those situations really essentially the kingdom of ndongo had conflicts from both sides the imbangala wanting to take over ndongo land and the portuguese looking to claim slaves from this crisis many ndongo leaders joined the portuguese side reducing manpower and funds available to the kingdom and by the time nzinga's father became king in around 1593, the country had been at war for over 10 years, with King Kiluanji attempting to make peace through open warfare, negotiations and diplomacy, but none was successful. King Kiluanji became an oppressive ruler, causing him to lose the support of his people and family. It's thought that Nzinga's brother Mbandi overthrew and killed his father, taking the throne for himself, so you know how we say we love a coup? now this probably mm-hmm. <laughs> an early coup <laughs> from the 1600s
1: honestly look at this just oh.
0: i love a coup
1: killed their father. it's so it's so dramatic as well like overthrew and killed his dad
0: mate i just feel that all these like when you have all these like after a certain point in history like they just get really dramatic don't they it's
1: like... yeah people just don't care they anymore just... <laughs> you're gone. <Yeah. laughs> Some of us are looking for thrones out here and you being here is just in my hey, way. This
0: is an early Game oh. of Thrones. I know you said you never watched it, but I think the story to come kind of mirrors the story a little bit. Or the little that I've seen for me purposes, of course. And Bandy, however, was just as ineffective and cruel as his father and lacked his sister's intelligence. And Bandy was paranoid that Nzinga's baby son would grow up and plot to assassinate him. As you often think, I suppose. This resulted in Mbandi ordering for Nzinga's son to be killed and for Nzinga to be forcibly sterilised. Again, more drama. Mm-hmm. This is just one yeah. little segment, sweeping <laughs> everything.
1: Do you know what it's like? This is reminding me of Greenleaf.
0: I was gonna say for
1: those <laughs> for those listeners Amen. who, if you have not watched <laughs> Greenleaf on Netflix, Chini and I were obsessed. We yeah early seasons. Oh my god. Because you basically have this family in a church. Um not in a church, but like there are a fake
0: church. What do you even... a Mega church.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so and the level of drama literally. in one episode and we could never connect different seasons. Would literally you'd literally have to rewatch season two to remember even where you're at. So this is definitely that level of messiness. It is, like, it's, it's green so leaf confused. messy,
0: honestly. It's it's yeah,
1: green leaf messy. <laughs> That should be a word in the dictionary. <laughs> <Green-eating>.
0: <laughs> urban dictionary who? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We're taking it straight through to the Oxford dictionary.
0: <laughs> Bypass urban dictionary.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're bypassing. Oh.
0: So after Nzinga's forcible uh, sterilization, she fled to the kingdom of Matamba for her safety, where she remained until her brother needed her to be an ambassador for the Portuguese to negotiate a treaty as she spoke fluent Portuguese. In 1622, Mbandi sent Nzinga to Luanda as his envoy to negotiate peace with Dom João Correia, De Sousa, the portuguese governor at this moment nzinga proved to be an outstanding negotiator and diplomat during these talks nzinga dazzled in her royal clothes and entourage with a dutch artist recording this historical meeting in a painting the significance of this is that normally indongo leaders would meet um portuguese leaders whilst wearing western clothing but nzinga wanted to display that her culture was not inferior The story is told that only one chair was available at the conference, which was to be for the Portuguese governor and a mat provided for Nzinga. The plot was to make sure that Nzinga was standing, so she looked inferior as a conquered African, whilst obviously the Portuguese governor would be seated on the chair comfortably. However, Nzinga signaled to her entourage, and one of the maids formed a physical seat for Nzinga using her body. So if you thought that physical theatre in Year 7 drama was useless...
1: (laughs) here it is showing its credibility and use coming right here oh i love it i love it i had, love the you fact you were sick
0: that... of to be a tree
1: <laughs> you finally have a use of purpose this is what you should have been doing yes it wasn't all useless
0: it's the crab i assume or are you like all fours i don't know but I, I guess all fours is more comfortable actually i think the crab would be quite uncomfortable <laughs>
1: Yeah, gosh, you're doing the crab Okay, you're another level of chair out here. I'm, no, I haven't. I'm a simple...
0: <laughs> I don't think I've yeah, been able to do the crab, yeah. crab since I was 10 years old. <laughs>
1: oh, same here.
0: Once on the same level as the governor, Nzinga was able to communicate as an equal. Treaty negotiations were successful and Nzinga convinced the Portuguese to recognise the kingdom of Ndongo as an independent monarchy and withdraw Portuguese troops. This was done by arguing that the kingdom was in fact independent rather than a conquered state. Nzinga also made sure she flattered the Portuguese according to the story, and in exchange for this, she offered to open trade routes to the Portuguese, release European captives held by her brother and study Christianity and become baptized. This was probably more of a political move rather than an actual religious conversion, as Nzinga took the name Donna Ana de Souza after the governor. In this case, she used religion as a political tool by thinking that her country could be open to whatever science and technology Europe had come up with. However, around a year after the treaty was signed, the Portuguese disregarded the terms of the treaty and decided to carry on slave gathering. So they just carried on uh, taking captives to Brazil and taking precious items and... Yeah, just to highlight that Brazil was a major location for the slave trade. And there is, um, you know, substantial Yoruba um, influence in Brazil. And um, often Brazil isn't mentioned as much as, you know, the US or the Caribbean when it comes to talking about the slave trade. Certainly haven't been any slave films set in Brazil because Hollywood loves a slave film. Um, but, But yeah, just to highlight that Brazil... Is a place that there are a lot of um descendants of slaves and it's definitely a topic that we might look to cover as
1: well yeah i definitely think we should yeah one. i think we should let's have a look at
0: that and Bandi and Zinga's brother was shown to be a weak leader and and Bandi, uh this is another green leaf <laughs> section <here. laughs> but, uh, um... he later died mysteriously with some saying it could have been suicide or even poisoning by Nzinga herself as revenge for Mbandi killing her son, which I guess is 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 fair enough.
1: Yeah, like if that was her reasoning for it, then yeah, I don't see why. Yeah, yeah. she's not.
0: It's your only brother, but it's fine.
1: Yeah, he did kill kill the dad. He did kill
0: her son. Yeah, yeah. That's son. Just oh he yeah, let's not forget. he did. Yeah. A... Okay. Okay. Yeah, there was no, a lot of yeah.
1: Yeah. there was a lot of things that he did. There yeah. was a
0: lot going on. A lot of um, yeah.
1: Around the same time Nzinga became queen, the Portuguese renewed their attacks against Sindongo by hiring warriors from the Kansanji kingdom to fight on their behalf. Nzinga and her people fled in response to this and founded a new state. Nzinga led her army against the Portuguese and fought against them in a war that lasted for three decades. She took advantage of European rivalries by forming an alliance with the Dutch. She also offered her kingdom as a sanctuary for runaway slaves, which was an unusual law nzinga also stirred up unrest in Ndongo as well which was indirectly controlled by the portuguese she also exploited european rivalries to her advantage by forming an alliance with the dutch who were scrambling for the continent in this region the dutch had conquered luanda now known as angola's capital in sixteen forty one Nzinga used the Dutch alliance to defeat the Portuguese army, and when the Dutch were then defeated by the Portuguese the following year, she continued her battle against the Portuguese, personally leading her troops into battle while well in her 60s.
0: Mate, 60s though. Imagine still fighting at the age of 60.
1: I know this woman was out here like.
0: To be honest, probably gonna be working till I'm 80, so this is, <laughs> this is probably
1: nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Inzinga frequently organised guerrilla attacks on the Portuguese and was skilled in the use of arms. She created hidden caves by ordering trenches to be made around her island and created false alliances with neighbouring kingdoms, further expanding her reign. She
0: ain't stopping in her 60s. Do you know I what mean? She's a bit cunning there.
1: <laughs> I want expansion plan, guys. Let's get on it. <laughs> In November 1657, the Portuguese finally decided to give up their claim to Ndongo. After the wars against the Portuguese concluded, she rebuilt her nation, which was damaged from years of conflict and over-farming. Matamba was developed as a trading power by capitalising on its position as the gateway to Central Africa. Nzinga focused her efforts on resettling former slaves and allowing women to bear children. Despite the many attempts by the Portuguese to kill her, Inzinga died peacefully at the age of 82 in around 1663 in Matamba. Wow. So she did a lot, did you know what I mean? Got... Age 82. Even,
0: yeah, to live at, until 82, like, right, back, back, back in the day, that's, um, yeah. And to survive the attempts of the Portuguese to kill, which I'm sure were quite imaginative. seen as everything was so dramatic back then
1: yeah and also especially like with her brother out here like killing family members left right and center (laughs) like it's nobody's (laughs) business do you know what I mean there's no loyalty gosh talk about like being fearing your enemies you've got to be fearing the ones like (laughs) fearing the family yeah it's
0: it's it's crazy but yeah um I guess after nzinga's death unfortunately matamba went through a civil war and her death accelerated the portuguese expansion into the southwestern africa region primarily fueled by the portuguese slave trade so it's clearly queen nzinga stopping the portuguese from getting more of the land um it within what is now known as angola by 1671 Ndongo became part of portuguese angola as it was known In terms of legacy, Queen Nzinga is known in Angola as a mother of Angola, the fighter of negotiators and the protector of her people. She continues to be regarded as a symbol of the fight against oppression. Nzinga also represents a role model for all generations of Angolan women. In Angola, women are socially independent and are often represented in the country's army, police force and government, as well as public and private economic sectors. Inzinga is also regarded as a symbol in the fight for Angola independence from Portugal, which finally happened on the 11th of November 1975. So yeah, it's it was a long time. From 1671. Yeah, this is a newbie of our country. Yeah, it's just insane. Yeah. Quite recent, to be honest, 1975.
1: Yeah, yeah, not that long ago.
0: A statue of Nzinga was unveiled in 2002 to celebrate the 27th year of Angolan independence and as a tribute she was issued on a series of Angolan coins. What I like about this story is how it's an example of how Africans are resistant against colonization and the slave trade. It wasn't a case that you know the Europeans came in and just kind of met no resistance whatsoever and i think that's that's quite a false narrative and this is just one of the examples that proves that
1: yeah yeah definitely it was all like you know we did fight africans did fight we didn't just kind of wait around and be like all right okay feel free to take it then i've got nothing yeah yeah and even (laughs) though obviously the outcome later on ends up being kind of the portuguese getting that control over the country i think to have forced Portugal off for so long yeah um I think it's just testament to yeah and Zynga and her strength and just determination to really have control of our country and really lead it herself yeah um so yeah no really yeah really crazy kind of how long we've been fighting um and stuff exactly and I think also it goes to show like you know you were saying about finding um references for this was quite difficult mm. I think mean, it just goes to show the importance of just like documenting our history yeah. Because. If you think about it, just how much we know. Around this time, you had Forks. Remember,
0: remember, the 5th of November. You know I mean? Gunpowder, treason, and plots. <laughs> I see no reason why gunpowder, treason should ever be forgot. Why do I know that poem? Okay, and I hadn't heard of Queen of before we did the research for this. <laughs> I think that explains.
1: You know the poem all the way through. <laughs> I only know the first words, remember, remember, and have forgotten the rest, <laughs> which I just... <laughs> Think it's failed on me but how do we know about all of this stuff and it's well documented yeah. and it's like celebrated and we you know and it's recognized but yeah out here it's like mm,
0: yeah no we don't we don't really know it's
1: it's difficult yeah exactly and she was such a strong like role model as well but I'm glad like um and if she has been recognized in Angola and yeah pay tribute to her as well I think that's really important so yeah I'm glad Thank you for your suggestions, guys. Yeah. it's really nice to for us to bring these kinds of stories to light as well. We
0: want to. Uh, I want to make a pitch to Disney. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can cover Point yes. Hunters. You guys should cover this story too.
1: <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. Right? Yeah, that would be. Could that will someone be so create good. So good. Like
0: a Peter Zynga like film animation, especially for like young children? I think it's a great character, yeah. especially as it's true.
1: Definitely. I am all for it
0: Yes. alright well thanks guys for listening thanks for sticking with us um, as we are almost at the end of our second season um, yeah we just can't believe the traction and all you new listeners that have also joined us thank you so much for joining us and listening to us and feeding back and as we get to the end of our second season we'd like to say feel free to DM us, um, tweet us comment any suggestions for season three because we're gonna start plotting our next moves obviously aren't we so yeah always always always, always. plotted so yeah i
1: literally can't believe i can't believe it's like i um, up to the end of season two i know i said that at the end of season one like <laughs> oh <laughs> um but yeah it does feel like we're we've always done this you know what yeah. i mean like it's so it's so weird how it kind of becomes a part of your everyday an enjoyable part of my everyday. And um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening guys. Yeah.
0: Feel free to follow us on Instagram at its continent pod and also on Twitter at its continent. See you in 2 weeks time.
1: Bye.
0: Bye.